and welcome along to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast for a special episode live from ED's Virtual Sustainability Leaders Forum. Coming up on today's episode, we catch up with David Simons, WSP's Future Ready Innovation Leader, for some advice on sustainability skills building in 2021 and beyond. We ask Martin Gettings, Canary Wharf Group's Head of Sustainability, about the ever-evolving role of the sustainability professional. In an exclusive interview with PMI's Chief Sustainability Officer, Jennifer Motles, we ask, can businesses in industries with high environmental or social impacts ever be truly sustainable? And we get together virtually as a team to recap the key takeaways from the three-day conference. Yes, a very warm welcome to today's edition of the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. I'm Edie's senior reporter, Sarah George, and I'm recording this for you shortly after we wrapped up the Sustainability Leaders Forum and Sustainability Leaders Awards for 2021. Over the past three days, we've helped to host more than 80 talks, ranging from high level keynote speeches to hundreds of people to intimate workshops, providing opportunities for the co-creation of solutions to major challenges. We've also helped to hand out 25 Sustainability Leaders Awards after a record breaking 189 organisations, teams, initiatives and individuals were shortlisted. And all of this was tied together by the overarching theme of Together We Can, making 2021 the super year for climate action. Here to help me recap all of the key happenings over what has been a jam-packed three days are ED's content editor, Matt Mace. Hello. Um, and content director, Luke Nichols. How are you both? Hello. Uh, I'm well, yeah. I'm probably speaking on behalf of Matt as well in saying that... Uh, um pretty pretty tired pretty exhausted but in a in a good way um and uh we were just saying off air that i think compared with a um a live uh, event a face-to-face event i think we'd probably be a lot more physically tired but we're all uh, pretty mentally tired from the last few days um don't know if that chimes with uh, with you matt yeah quite, quite soon I'm, I'm more shocked that you're actually on the podcast Luke. that's got to be a first for 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 a while hasn't it it's uh must be almost coming up a year yeah try and make that sort of annual annual appearance um, yeah. i'm sat in my hot tub as we speak <laughs> yeah for, forget the interviews we've got lined up for you the real star of the show is luke's cameo um it's very strange for me because normally this is the part of the forum when all the signs are being taken down at the venue and all the coffee cups are being stacked away everyone's leaving and making a beeline for the for the tube but today is just the part where we all log off and go smoothly from the office to the home and back again. Um, The fact that we were able to host this event in a fully virtual format is testament to the fact that everyone in this space has pivoted over the past 12 months Um, and with this in mind I've managed to get some time with WSP's Future Ready Innovation Leader David Simons, a regular guest on this podcast, Um, to hear his thoughts on the sustainability skills we need to hone during 2021 and beyond. So let's hear that talk with David in full. Well, hello, David. Thank you so much for sparing sparing the time around your session. How are you? I'm very good, thanks, Sarah. Yeah, good to speak to you. And to see you, even though it is virtually very, very odd, seeing as you're one of our regulars at the forum. Yeah, pleasure. Pleasure to be with you. Great. Well, let's get right into the discussion. So we're catching up about your session, which was part of our sustainability skills 
um, our sustainability skills seminar. What a great bit of alliteration. Um, and specifically, I know that you and Matt have been chatting about what it takes to leverage change within um, within a business, a vitally important um, topic. So do you think this is something that business are looking for a bit more more now? I guess in, in the past, sustainability has sometimes sat within, within compliance, but we're seeing this increasing drive for disruption and internal challenge. Um, is this something you're seeing? I mean, it's just that the, for, for sustainability, it, it's an industry whose time has come, Sarah. Um, the the importance of sustainability has moved from being a nice to have a compliance issue um, to to being one which is absolutely at the heart of business, um, and and that's simply because it is now massively important to customers. It's massively important to investors, um, particularly in PLCs. It's massively important to, 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 to our people that, that we work with as well. Um, sustainability in general, but, but let's also talk about the imperative of climate action, COP26, net zero, biodiversity, all of the societal challenges that, we, that we've had um, from the pandemic this year. All of those are absolutely at the top of minds, not just um, for, for, for ops managers, um, but, 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 but absolutely at the executive table and at the board level. So, you know, there is just for the vast, vast majority of businesses now an absolutely compelling business case. Um, and, and so sustainability moves to the heart of strategy um, where compliance is just an absolute given, frankly, very, very important. But 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 also recognising that sustainability is a key part of strategic thinking and, and no strategic strategy, so to speak, was ever built just on legal compliance. For sure. I mean, we've had Martin on this podcast already and the way that he put it last year was that sustainability professionals used to be activists. You used to have to go into the boardroom with your case and pitch it. And now they're activators. The CEO will come to them and say, well, how can we decarbonise more quickly? How do we um, change our, our products? And what, what does that mean for people that are that are in your line of work? So, for example, what, what are your professional resolutions, so to, so to speak, for this year? Well, well I mean, just to, just to build out on that a bit, I suppose, Sarah, I, I mean, look, you know, we, within WSP, we have 50,000 people across the world. We're designing the, the you know, in, infrastructure um, and, and also this year, um, we will become the world's largest environmental consultancy as the, the, the acquisition of gold are complete. So, you know, and 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 with with the the work that that I lead leading future ready it's a program where we we see the future more clearly on 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 resources on society on technology and on climate and then we inspire our 50,000 people to advise to that future as well as today um and and in the 5 years since we have launched that program this has you know, just 
this has really gone to the heart of, of our global strategy within the UK. It's helped us win 52 million pounds of work in 2020. It's a key thing that has unified our brand um, across um, uh, 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 across all of the markets that we work in. Everybody will talk about future ready, probably more than than than, than, than other things. Our investors are talking to us about what what, what are you doing in, um, in in sustainability? How are you using our investment to, to to drive that um and and from senior staff to junior staff you know that they are saying that, you know, that this is giving them tremendous purpose and time and time again they are saying this is why we joined the business so you know th- th- there is the business case for you um of which you know of course compliance is you know is, is is a part of it but 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 all of that just shows how how much broader it is yeah for sh- for sure um and Back to the sustainability skills seminar. Mm. So we will have a lot of people listening from areas that need to build the business case, which you've just been over from us. But we're hoping we're also going to get a lot of young people entering the sustainability Mm. profession um, tuning in. We've definitely invited all of our 30 under 30. Mm. Um, So as someone who's been in the sustainability profession for a while and has been tracking what's what's happened in terms of what's demanded of the role and what the focuses are, at the moment, what what would your advice be to the to the next generation? Um, I think I'd give two pieces of advice. Uh, I think the first one um, is is never stop learning. Um, so I you know read and learn voraciously. Go to webinars, read ED, um, um, l- l- learn and talk to, to to your peers because this whole area is moving so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 what I was working on, you know, even five years ago is is quite different now to and and, and will be in five years time. So, so so that's one. And then and then I think that the second piece um, is just recognizing that effective programs, um, be that within an organisation or, or or if you're keen to make really significant change in sustainability are are built on both what you want to do and also how you are going to do that um and 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 sometimes as sustainability professionals we spend a lot of time talking about the what um where actually um the the how is 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 also as important And, and 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 allied to that and probably putting both of those together I'd say one of the key things that 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 I continue to to learn is that when when you're launching and and, and developing strong programs, um, they need new skills. Um, so so exactly as 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 Martin has been saying, for for me, as I've launched out Future Ready, as I've launched the sub programs that sit underneath that, as well as having a strong sustainability knowledge. I've also had to really pay attention to operations management, finance, team management, executive engagement, change management. And, and the issue is exactly as, as, as Martin has said, it's not about campaigning. Now our executive teams are saying, we get it. This is great. How quickly can you get this out across your, our 50,000 staff? Um, and, you know, there I've had to draw on the the expertise from across the business and and reach out and ask you know lots of different people for help who I might not necessarily have worked with. 
Mm, it definitely feels like we are at this doing moment, like the UK has got its net zero target and now all the policies are coming out to underpin it and all of the companies that set targets mm. last year are going to be reporting on it for the first time this year. So it does feel like a, a pretty important moment. Well, and, and, and also, again, just recognising that many of us in sustainability have come from a scientific background, possibly an academic background, some of us. That is only part of the answer to, 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 to rolling out an effective programme. Um, so that focus on the what are you going to do? Again, as I say, it feels like it's more in the comfort zone often for the sustainability professional. But that how are you going to to, to implement, scale, learn, um, and 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 keep making your program more effective is is the bit that sometimes I feel is harder for our for for for, for, for well certainly for myself and also for others in our industry. For sure. Um, and David, this podcast is serving as a recap of the forum, but also a bit of a look forward um, as well. So I have to ask you before you're, you um, go, what are you planning in the run up to COP26? What is WSP going to be to be doing to prepare um, and, and during conference? Ah, great question. Um, I mean, probably the most important thing that we are doing is taking action. So in, in October last year, we made a commitment for our UK business that we would halve the carbon footprint of the designs and the advice that we give to our clients by 2030. Um, that is a, a completely unique commitment that our sector has made. No other um, firm in our sector has made a quantitative commitment. A lot of my time is now spent with, OK, so what does that mean for the steel that we are specifying? How are we going to halve the carbon footprint mm -hmm. of the cements and concrete? How are we going to work with our clients on that? How are we going to give our teams the skills? So that's probably the the, the most important point. The, the, the second area for, for our environmental industry, um, I was really proud to be behind um, the, the launch um, last year of, of Pledge to Net Zero, um, which is the, the environmental consultancy industry coming together to take action on climate um, from, our, from our direct footprint. Um, today, we've now got, I think it's around about 80% of the UK's environmental consultancy industry signed up to that. Um, and we've got eight professional institutions who have also come on board for that. Um, we're just going through the race to zero um, approval process at the moment. So I'm really hoping if we get that under the um, uh, uh, under our belt, and I won't assume anything there, um, then that gives our industry a really good platform. Um, and, and then, of course, then there's other things around research and, and, and the like, which um, which we will be looking at um, and um, we'll look forward to bringing out later this year. Great. Well, I'm excited to see it. But in the meantime, I know you're a super busy man and we have lots to get through this event. Um, so I'll let you get going, David. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Thank you, Sarah. Great to speak to you. Well, thanks once again to David there for his time. And I understand that he was one of the speakers for our sustainability skills seminar um, on day three, which I was tuned into. But Matt and Luke, I know that you were helping to to host. So amid that, what would what were some of the key takeaways for for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I was on the session with with David um, for one of them. Um, and then and that was all about kind of innovating the business mindsets kind of horizon scanning whilst going with here and now and i was also uh, chairing a session with anna turrell from uh, tesco and, and anita longley from the icrs all about the the personal development of sustainability 
um, professional. And I think the resounding message from both of them was that um, it's such a great time to to be in this industry. It kind of reminded me of uh, Polly Cortis's lifetime um, achievement acceptance speech, where she's kind of summarised how this sector has changed, but how there's this kind of just groundswell of external levers that have made it so that internally the battle was always trying to get the ball aware of sustainability that that's less of a battle now there's so much external stuff happening with net zero with investors with um, um biodiversity and now obviously cop 26 happening this year that businesses whether they want to or not are going to have to act on this and i think what that allows sustainability professionals to kind of recalibrate their their skill set to um be less less of kind of less knocking on doors and more kind of opportunists um having the ideas and and springing them at the the right uh the right time was was probably um one of the the key takeaways from from my school sessions it's very much about building momentum and kind of just being relentless in that sense you can have bad ideas you can have half-baked ideas and you can still pitch them and there's nothing wrong with in this current climate with failing as long as you fail fast and you you, you kind of learn from that and, and go again. Mm. Luke what did you have jotted down on on this one or did Matt take the words out of your mouth? <laughs> yeah yeah he's covered most of the things I was going to say actually um, but uh, yeah I mean it was a fantastic uh, afternoon I'm sure Matt will agree I think and it followed on very nicely from the the leaders forum itself as a bit of a kind of add-on event I guess the point was to discuss over the first three days uh, well, in that third morning, um, the you know what, where we need to get to, why we need to get there, and and generally what we need to do uh, in order to kind of get there as well. And then the point of this afternoon really was to discuss how, and um, specifically through kind of what skills, techniques um, that can be applied by our core audience to actually make this stuff happen and actually make this this year the super year for sustainability, as we've been talking about. Um, so generally, just from that point, it, it sort of flowed really nicely and it all felt quite knitted together really well. Um, there was a real kind of purpose behind the whole event and all of the discussions. I think it's very difficult just to kind of consolidate um, takeaways into just a few little anecdotes. But I think what stood out for me, I think Joe Gilroy from Kia's presentation, um, as always, um, she has really nailed the PowerPoint presentation uh, approach. Um, some really good slides and kind of quotes on there. Quotes stood out for me. She made this point about kind of the crucial importance of planning and not just kind of um, because our session was all about communications and engagement and mm -hmm. uh, about really really planning your engagement strategy and any conversations you're going to have before just going in and having them and she used this Abraham Lincoln quote of um, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I'll spend the first four sharpening the axe which is probably a quote that everyone listening has maybe heard several times before, but it was the first time I'd actually heard that and it stuck with me really um, and does apply, I think, a lot to what sustainability professionals have got to be doing this year. Um, I think the other sort of takeaway that stood out for me was a presentation from James Roby at Capgemini. Uh, he talked about the, you know, the multitude of roles that uh, a sustainability professional nowadays has to play. Um, and he had this great slide where he sort of showed them up in this kind of wheel um, and a, a sustainability professional he says has to be a networker a pragmatist a futurist a communicator a salesperson which i thought was interesting uh, an interpreter and uh, a change agent so uh, yeah not much expected of our core audience but um yeah it was a, a really fantastic day i thought that we kind of came out of it and um 
as as those sort of events go, there were some real specific and insights and takeaways that I think were really useful for for that audience. Mm-hmm. Well, very you mentioned smooth flow, so I'm going to very smoothly flow into our interview on this on this topic. As you mentioned, really hard just to get everything down in bullet points. So I was delighted to get some time with Canary Wharf Group's head of sustainability, Martin Gettings, who took part in an Ask Us Anything panel on sustainability leaders of the past, present and future just before the skills seminar. It was telling that so many of the questions were about skills and career choices at this really sensitive moment in time. So without further ado, let's hear Martin's thoughts. Great. Well, good morning, Martin. It's an absolute pleasure to be to be catching up. How are you? Morning, Sarah. Yeah, all good. Um, who needs Canary Wharf when you can work from home in your back bedroom? <laughs> For sure. And who needs the London Design Centre when we can do it online? But not not really, because I am really missing seeing everyone, everyone in person. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, it's, um, it, it kind of highlights the need to the need to convene and to come together. And um, yeah, it's. It's okay for a while, but I'm sensing that we need to get back to some, we all need to get back to some sense of normality. Yeah, well, I'm sure that we're not alone in having our fingers crossed for that. And I know that you're calling me remotely today, but we haven't caught up for, for a few months. So have you been working remotely in, in your role for 2020 and, and 2021? Sort of what's what's your job look like recently, Martin? Um, well, very busy for, for, is the easy answer. but. Um, yeah, we we've been working uh, pretty much remotely since since March, um, full time, uh, you know, and then we went um, we we managed to get some time back in the office in in July, August, September, and then started to obviously, you know, be a bit more a bit more re- remote working um, from then, and then obviously it's the start of start of this year's. It's been 100% working from home. I've not not been in the office in 2021 yet, so it's um, missing it. Yeah. Mm. And what has that meant for like your to-do list or for the sustainability to-do list of Canary Wharf Group more more broadly? Um. Well, we've still, um, as I say, I mean, my first comment is busy. This this last sort of 12 months has really seen a, a huge sort of escalation in 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 interest in all matters relating to ESG. Um, We've, um, I mean, personally, I, you know, I've still managed to remain very, very active in the sector. I mean, my list of things is, you know, it, you know, chaired the Supply Chain Sustainability School Climate Action Group. We're members of um, Council for Tall Buildings and Urban Habitat Tall Timber Panel. So we're looking at that, um, doing some work with um, on a new PAS for healthy buildings, um, climate uh, business um, Clean Air Task Force. We're involved in Steel Zero. We've contributed to the Goal 13 platform. And on a more personal level, I've I've done some mentoring. I'm obviously involved in the ED30 Under 30. Managed to mentor um, uh, someone from that, and uh, and a, also a, a scholarship that I've been mentoring. Um, but yeah, it's been very busy, but. Um, very active and I think that's probably one of the things that's got us through it really just just uh, still keeping that, that that momentum and that that activity sort of sort of alive and 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 um and still connecting with you know with people outside the, the business. Hmm. 
Well, I'm glad to hear that there's been so much going on. And I know you're definitely not alone in that ESG thing. I mean, just yesterday, me and Matt had to write a story about Robert Downey Jr., of all people, being the next big ESG investor. Mm. So I'm sure you're not alone there. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely the time. I mean, if, if anything, um, you know, what, what we've actually achieved in terms of a, in terms of Canary Wharf Group, if anything, you know, it. You know, ESG hasn't hasn't slowed down. As I said, it, if anything, it's it's ramped up. And um, just you know, the, the the list of things that we've achieved since since March last year, um, we achieved science-based targets, um, and we took that actually from from proposal to the board, right through to um, validation in a in the net zero carbon pathway. We published that um, net zero carbon pathway towards the back end of last year, and we've started to roll that out now across the business. Um, We've submitted our and published our usual annual reports, benchmarking. Uh, we joined Amazon's climate pledge. We got our first BRIAM outstanding and A-rated EPC um, certified. Um, we got we got our main commercial offices certified to the well health and safety standard. You know to express the you know mm-hmm. the, the sort of and but the really big news is that we achieved um, over 10 million square feet of um, environmental assessment method certified floor space and, and FSC certified projects as well. So we're, we've definitely got probably the, one of the largest portfolios of, of certified space in, in all sort of UK developers. Well, it's great to hear so many good stories. I'm sure that a lot of people are looking for some positivity um at the moment but of course that delivery doesn't just happen in a vacuum there's so many dedicated people um behind the scenes that as as we've touched on have to change function and i was thinking ahead of this call we're calling almost a year after i probably last saw you in person and it was for a round table on um the the role of the sustainability leader um i suppose and you talked about you talked about something that became a bit of a a sound bite. You talked about how a few years ago it was the role of a sustainability professional to be an activist, so to pitch case to a board and persuade them to take action. Um, and now you're all expected to be activators, so the people actually delivering on these priorities that are recognised now. So would you say that we're still in in activator mode for, for 2020 and 2021? Definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed taking part in that roundtable. There was some some really good ideas there. And and I think that the, the term that I coined, active, activists to activators, is, um, is, is quite relevant. I think, yes, there's still all, there will always be a need for activists. There will always be a need for people um, and, and, and organisations, you know, challenging and asking the big questions. And, and that's really, really exciting and really inspiring and really important. But I think the point I was making at the time and, and, and I would reinforce now is that, you know, if, if you're a practitioner, um, the clues in the title, you've got to do stuff, right? You've got to, you've got to engage, you've got to participate, you've got to, you've got to drive action. And I think um, it, it, when I started in, in, in this ESG journey, it wasn't even called that, you know, many, many years ago, it was very much about, you know, being a campaign, you know, you were a campaigner, you were, you, you, you were about trying to, try to change people's mindsets and change people's um, opinions on this. You know, those, those days seem to be gone, thankfully. And now I think as, as professionals, we need to be um, we need to be this, the, the, the providers of solutions, but not, you know, but real solutions, solutions that work. So having this understanding of the businesses and the sectors that you're in is vitally important. Um, 
you know, participating is a key. You know, you've, you've really got to get involved, you know, internally and I think externally as well. You know, this 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 idea that you can't do this on your own. You made the point there, um, Sarah, that, you know, this absolutely is not a solo sport. It, it, you have to have an internal team, but you have to have external um, engagement and communication and collaboration as well. The only way we're going to do this is 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 by, you know, coming together and doing this doing this as a team so yeah that's that's definitely definitely the the um the, the position we definitely want to see more activators and more more people taking action for, for sure and i know that this is what you're going to be touching on in in your plenary session as well and we're really hoping to get a lot of people tuning in who are maybe a bit newer to the to the profession as yourself than yourself for example and you've just mentioned so many learnings and so many ways in which like the language and the priorities and the function has changed and it seems to be changing quicker than ever there, there's that saying that things have never changed so so quickly but will never change so so slowly again so for people that are a bit more junior and are just foraying into the sustainability profession what what would your advice be be for for this moment in time yeah um i've got three things to say here um the first thing is align 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 right if you're already doing sustainability as your day job you must align yourself with what's important to your business and you've really got to focus on that and, I, and i'm talking here about tackling the material issues okay um, it, you know, find out what the what the big impacts are in your business and focus on them. You might want to do some peripheral things like coffee cups, you know, or you know, banning straws, and that's important as well. But those have those have really got to be used just in terms of um, igniting the imagination and, and showing um, showing what can be done. What you really have to do is is get to the nub of the the, the major material issues that, that your business faces and, and tackle them. And I think now is the time to take that front and center within your businesses you know you'll, you'll be wanting to do that if your businesses will be wanting to do that if if you're choosing um asg as your career path you know more and more businesses are going to are going to want you and you, you when you get there you're not going to be pushing on an open door you're going to be being dragged in and when that happens have the solutions ready right have the ideas have the vision be able to seize the imagination. Imagine is a great word. Use imagine a lot. You know, get people to visualize what can be done. I think if you're a young aspiring um, ESG professional, think like an entrepreneur and then scale that up. Scale up the ambition and scale up the solutions. You know, think big. Um, but as I say, my first point on that is alignment, right? Align yourself. Mm -hmm. And then the second, the second point I wanted to say on that is. Um, you know, and this is this is I'm speaking now to the people who aren't sustainability practitioners. I'm speaking to, um, the, you know, engineers, salespeople, finance people. You know, this isn't just the um, just the preserve of those that have chosen sustainability or ESG. Call it what you want as a profession. This is for everybody. Right. You can still follow your dream if you're really good at maths and you want to get into finance. Do that. But bake sustainability into that. You could be a sustainable finance manager. Um, you know, today and going forward, you, you you can be, you don't need to be a pure sustainability practitioner. You can bake that into what you want to do. There's enough scope for that. So I think integrate what your, you know, what your talents are and the route that you want to go on. You can do sustainability as well. Um, and the last, um, the last point on the, on, you know, on this is 
build back better. Anybody who, you know, we've all heard of that. And I think everybody should take a look at the IEMA um, mission statement. They have actually adopted build back better as, as that. And it really does provide you with a blueprint for what build back better means. Um, and I think build back better is not something that we just need to do now. We need to be doing it forever. And as I say, it's a blueprint for how we can, you know, how we can embrace and deliver um, the future that, that we're all looking for. So take a look at that. Take a look at the IEMA mission statement. Definitely, definitely encourage anybody, whether you're in the profession or not, to you know, take a good look at that. Great. Well, I think there's no more inspirational note that we could finish our chat on today, Martin, than the need to to build back better. So thank you so much and really looking forward to your plenary session. Yeah, likewise, Sarah. Um, thanks very much for, for speaking today. It was great. I enjoyed that. Well, thanks once again there to Martin. I'm a bit aware that the conversation so far made it seem like this event was all about skills. Um, but the breadth of topics covered and the depths of some of the conversations was great to see. Skills might have been the main focus for day three, but day one provided a call to action on climate change before attendees broke into groups to co-create solutions that will help drive progress, like making buildings greener and scaling up green finance flows. And on day two, we began by getting an update on the policy context from the UK's net zero business champion, Andrew Griffith, before redefining what business leadership on sustainability looks like with CEOs, CSOs, directors and other senior experts. Um, and one of our speakers on that day two was Philip Morris International's Chief Sustainability Officer, Jennifer Motlez, who recently stepped into this senior role at the tobacco major. Although her focus in this session was about sustainability reporting, she has a wealth of knowledge on business transformation and PMI is notably targeting a net zero smoke free future. Um, Matt, I understand that you took on this interview. So would you like to introduce it? Yeah, um, I mean, you kind of summarised nicely, but um, I always find, as you kind of said at the intro, talking to a company where um, they're not necessarily aligned with a low carbon green recovery, not in the terms of their, not in terms of what they're doing in terms of sustainability, but just kind of their historic positioning in the market at a tobacco company um, always kind of raises a, a lot of questions amongst delegates. Um, and I think we're, we're seeing um, this shift to a low carbon transition that there are going to be some stranded assets, namely oil and gas, but that doesn't mean that, that companies that have these, I suppose, uh, um, more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, contentious products can't also join the transition. And Jennifer was absolutely great to, to speak to about this because um, she, she kind of, you know, held her hands up and was completely transparent about the journey they're going on to not only decarbonize and, and kind of achieve a green recovery, but in a way that's kind of socially and, and um, physically prosperous as well. So it's, it's a great chat in that sense. Great. Well, let's play that chat in full then. So, uh, yeah, up next on this podcast, Edie audience, you're going to be hearing from me. It's It's been a while. I've kind of handed the reins over to Sarah and she's been doing a great job. Um, in fact, I think listeners of the podcast have gone up, so that's not a great indictment of my uh, presenting skills. <laughs> but I am back for this segment at the very least. Um, we are live, so to speak, from the Sustainability Leaders Forum, albeit uh, 
virtually uh, and I'm also joined virtually uh, right now by Jennifer Motlers, the Chief Sustainability Officer at uh, Philip Morris International. Uh, Jennifer, thank you for joining me. Um, you've kind of pretty much just come from a session or, or, or um, you're in a session this morning on day two of the forum. How did you find that? That's right. Thank you much for having me. And I can't help, I was reminiscing a little bit because I remember just a, a few months ago, it was my predecessor actually having a similar interview with Sarah actually. And I was in the back end listening to that conversation and thinking about where is it that we were going next and here we are today. So excited about this and thank you so much for having me and thank you for letting me join the panel. It was great, uh, very timely uh, about reporting and we see everything that is happening in the outside world about creating more defined frameworks and more clarity and helping us companies understand how to better report, how to better disclose and bring transparency to the conversation. And I guess from the outside world and other stakeholders like investors, like academics, like civil society, understand um, data points and find more compa comparable data to assess the performance of a company um, in a way that is really intelligible. So for me, and for me particularly, this is very good. It allows me to uh, bring more finesse to how I'm thinking about sustainability and reporting, because as you know, a uh, reporting cycle is on. Our integrated report, our second one, will be published in May. So we're well through our draft preparations, collecting data now to understand well how performance was. And so hearing how the other stakeholders were talking about it, of course, from their own expert point of view, allows me to make sure that we are still in the right direction. Yeah, it's uh, from the outside looking in as a journalist who writes about sustainable business. Um, the the reports themselves are quite for me. It's like, oh, okay, the report's published. I'll have a read through. There might be a story there and move on. From the sustainability professionals I've spoken to, sustainability reporting is a, a year-round process. You finish one and you start up the next one. Is what I've been told. Um, and in terms of the switch to integrated reporting, then what what are some of the 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 learnings from that? Does it streamline the approach a bit? Yeah, I think so. And I think that, well, our intention was always to get here and, and certainly this is not the end of the journey. But as you know, our company hasn't been reporting for very long. We started reporting in 2015 and that was um, UNGC communication on progress. It was quite a humble attempt to start uh, our journey to open up and be uh, more candid about the impact that we're having on society and the environment. Uh, and also speaking about the impact of our products and what we were doing to address it. And since then, we have recruited amazing talent. We have also um, educated ourselves and become more attuned with stakeholders' expectations. And with that, our reporting has, of course, evolved and become significantly more sophisticated. So last year, indeed, was the first one that we published our integrated report. And the intention was to integrate financial and non-financial disclosure all in one to signal to the outside world how is it that we are thinking about sustainability when we think about strategy. But you know what? Also to signal internally to our own organization, which are our priorities? How do we understand success? Where is it that we're going to allocate resources and how does our long-term plan looks like? I think that 
as an exercise, of course, it requires resources and it requires knowledge and expertise, but at the same time, it's incredibly rewarding. And I think a big reflection of that is the fact that upon the completion of our first integrated report and as my predecessor was preparing to leave, the decision of the company was actually to take sustainability and migrate it to finance. And that, of course, is not by chance. It's because really the company is thinking about let's elevate the rigor of this data. Let's elevate the way that we talk about sustainability and the robustness of our report all the way to the way that we talk about financial uh, management of data, because once they're equally treated, we can really have comparable information to start thinking about the long term. And that for me is really exciting because you move from a place of um, e understanding ESG as a risk mitigation and compliance, which is great. These are all great things, but to bring it to a place where you understand sustainability as a true opportunity for innovation and growth. And this is really where your competitive advantage lies as a company and where sustainability actually can flourish. Yeah, no, there, there's some great points there and it's great to see you being proactive in there. I mean, certainly in the UK, there's going to be some mandates in the next few years around what you said about migrating sustainability into the finance department um, with TCFT recommendations uh, right. kind of uh, being picked up um, quite. And we're seeing the same in biodiversity, right? Like Exactly. Yeah, we had the descriptor review as well in the UK this week. Um, there was a lot of talk about the, the I'll get the, the it's the TFND um, <laughs> for, the, for the nature disclosure as well. So there's so much movement in there and it's it's the conversation they have is the same profession. It's actually helping them for for those companies that it felt like it was a silo, a kind of one department. It is now branching it out across other areas of the business. Um, and I think uh, it's probably worth touching on um, people see PMI um, and they see ED host and a sustainability event with, with PMI. And they, they, you know, they may think that's somewhat contradictory of a tobacco company uh, that can be sustainable. Um, obviously, it's much more layered uh, than that. But I'd, I'd like to get your response. Obviously, you've already spoken about how well you, the company has moved to kind of truly integrate sustainability in, in the business. Um, how do you see a kind of tobacco company then, um, you know, building on its ESG uh, credentials and business strategies in the future? I think um, yeah, you're you're right on point, and I don't think that that dichotomy is wrong. I do think that um, connecting tobacco and sustainability is not um, an, an intuitive thing to do, and that's why it's important for me and and for our company in general to be very clear about what is it that we mean when we talk about sustainability, and for sure, reporting and our report in specific is a vehicle to do that. But uh, beyond that, we need to be candid and, and honest and transparent with our stakeholders and with society in general to acknowledge that the biggest impact that our company has comes from the products that we sell. And so without really having a solution for that, without being able to a, recognize the impact of the product that we sell and have a solution that is comprehensive to address that, which means only... Uh, moving to a place where a company no longer bases its success on making or selling cigarettes, then I don't think you can legitimately talk about sustainability as a cigarette company. And I think that um, as we as we become more sophisticated, as we become more evolved in our approach to sustainability, the one thing that remains a constant is that the product is really the core of our strategy. I mean, all the things that we've talked about, 
conserving nature, water stewardship, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, improving diversity and inclusion and equity in the workplace. All these things are necessary, but the, none of these would matter if we were not bringing a solution to the product that we're selling. And so I'm, I'm proud to say that I'm leading the sustainability strategy for a company that is genuinely working to do that. And in that way, I have no problem sitting here and, and conversing with you or talking about it and, and being challenged, frankly, because we're prepared to live up to that challenge. We're reporting on it periodically to, in our integrated report. We have a set of metrics that address exactly this point, that talk about the transformation, not only how is it that we're changing one product to another, but really how we're transforming our entire value chain, how our business model is shifting and the amount of resources that are being reallocated to move into a different direction. And, and certainly I think that this is not unique just to tobacco. You know, every company has um, through their own materiality assessments an understanding of where is it that they have the greatest impact. And um, from a sustainability standpoint and also from a business strategy, you need to start there. Wherever you have the biggest impact, that's where you need to put your resources and that's where you need to start communicating and everything else comes second. Yeah, no, there's some some great points there. I, I've spoken to some investors and about their approach to um to, to assets to, to kind of address businesses as assets. Some have a real kind of hard line, they only want to invest in green. Some are willing to take business uh, businesses and products that perhaps aren't um, truly sustainable yet and and know that they're making progress that the kind of progress that you just showed and are willing to back them and I think that's going to be the we're I suppose we're on the periphery of a tipping point almost where the 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 companies whether that's high carbon whether that's just a company that can't quite define its role in society if they don't get to grips of it now they're they're going to be cut off from from the funds funds going forward so it sounds like uh, PMI have, have done a lot of work internally to to really set that up for success uh, which is Great to hear. And you, you mentioned at the start, you know, you, you're listening to to um, when your predecessor um, who was on uh, the podcast. Um, and so you were obviously recently promoted into the CSO role. You've already touched on some of your focus areas and priority areas, but but more broadly, what, what has the team uh, been focusing on other than, of course, the, the, the year long aspect of reporting? Sure, and perhaps I can even tie it to the comment that you that you made before regarding investors. That's so important, right? Because the investor community indeed is a stakeholder that has um, massive amounts of power to create a shift and drive change. And so, in this in this moment in time where there's so much transparency and technology has improved to allow us to um, have so much data and so much information about impact. What do investors do with this information to actually maximize the power of the process? And I think um, this is one of the things that we think a lot about. What can investors do in terms of engaging with companies on materiality, engaging in understanding what is the impact that companies have on society and demanding that their value propositions and their business models shift to be um, ones that, of course, remain profitable and serving shareholders, but also serving other stakeholders. And so when you ask me what, what has changed or what is important to my team, I think this is where we're today. I think that um, it's to, is to highlight and reinforce that our sustainability strategy 
is really our corporate strategy and it's also a transformation strategy. This is all one and the same, that when we assess risk and that when we identify priorities, we're taking all of these different capitals into consideration, not just financial capital, and that we don't understand our long-term success in a way that affects or damages the environment or society more. And so, and this is part of that move to finance, that is the part of really becoming more robust and rigorous in the way that we report. I'm quite excited about that, actually. Great. And I always like asking this question last because sustainability is, is inherently a long-term game. It's a, it's the the um, I suppose that not the deadlines, but the timeframes are quite quite long term for for businesses, which are used to obviously dealing with short term in terms of economics and that aspect. But um, the timelines are also shrinking in terms of action. So, what's you and your team? What's your real kind of focus area for the for for this year? I mean, um, it feels weird that we're already in Feb. I mean, for for the UK listeners, that we're we're at least a, well, no, at minimum a third of the way through through this lockdown. Um, so it's it's getting there slowly and shortly. But but for for the rest of this year, what are you really hoping to achieve? Right. I think that what uh, we're gonna. We're working now on our report and I'm excited about that. I think that um, this year what we're going to work on is to refresh our materiality. Materiality, as you know, it's, a, it's the basis of a sound strategy and it also collects and the feedback from stakeholders and allows us to really keep the pulse right with society. We completed one three years ago, so I think the world has changed quite a bit since then and that's why uh, upon publishing our report in May, this is where all our energy is going to shift towards. Really restarting our materiality, recalibrating our priorities, re-identifying where our focus needs to go, and then planning the next step forward. No, I like that uh, re recalibrating um, idea. I think I think what's happened in the in the last year or so has, has I think a lot of businesses are doing that. They've they've shown that they can change pretty much overnight when forced to. Um, and they, I think a lot of them are trying to figure out their purpose, their role in society and their role in this uh, green recovery aspect. So um, I'll certainly be looking out for that report uh, in May when it does come out. But um, thank you, Jennifer. Thank you uh, so much for your time today. Uh, it sounds like you're extremely busy, so I won't keep you uh, any longer. It was my pleasure, really. It really was my pleasure. So thank you so much for having me, Matt. And nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah, you too. Well, hopefully next time it might be... Uh, it might be face to face in a, in a, in a physical uh, leaders forum rather than uh, yeah rather than over the um, the choice of technology because yeah Zoom fatigue and, and Teams fatigue it's definitely a real thing but uh, it's yeah it was it was a pleasure to speak to you thank you likewise here's hoping and a quick thank you once again to Jennifer for her time. I think it's fair to say we've all been doing a bit of name dropping during this episode, but just as we round up, I did want to ask if there were any sessions that were particularly imp impressive um, to you or really, really resonated with you so we can end the episode on a on a high note. Uh, yeah, well, um, I mean, Luke mentioned um, the, the Abraham Lincoln quote. Was it Abraham Lincoln or George Washington? It was Lincoln. Abraham was Lincoln, yeah. He, yeah. he didn't speak at the forum, but yeah. He... <laughs> yeah, which which is probably, uh, which is, you know, probably something you want to work on for next year, that Luke is pointing. But um, um, but we, we had a few kind of famous quotes in the uh, in the professional, the sustainable professional development session with, with Anna and Anita. And Anna quoted, um, Anna Torrecontesto quoted uh, Steve Jobs, but she also in the chat mentioned an LL Cool J quote, which uh, I thought was good. Um, it's kind of, do what you love, uh, you'll be better at it. It sounds pretty simple, but you'd be surprised at how many people don't get this one right away. 
and I think that kind of you know we 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 said it many times sustainability professionals are probably the most kind of optimistic um and extroverted people out there in terms of their their kind of disposition on on what's essentially quite a frightening thing to do is it's kind of transform businesses to ensure that the planet isn't wrecked and to see that kind of optimism shine through is, is great and I think that was one thing that actually stuck with me is that these people they they absolutely love what they do it might be frustrating at times there might have to be some stubborn optimism which was obviously kind of the key uh phrase on, on day one of the forum but um they will love what they do and they will they will happily kind of move to organizations when they feel they've done enough in one organization to kind of really push push corporate sustainability to to new hearts which was uh refreshing to hear from from me yeah that stubborn optimism is going to stick with me for sure Luke, I don't know if you had anything different for for this one. Um, no, quite similar. So I'll just give you very, very. I'll give three very quick points, and I suppose I'll I'll try and think. I've, I've thought of three points that I think relate to content that we've already covered on the site, so um, people will be able to actually read the full stuff um, themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, I think Tom Rivet Karnak's opener at the first on the first day, combined with the panel that followed up, I think was a really nice um, scene setter, and uh, would recommend that uh, those combined reads um, for anyone that's interested in the in the sort of cop moment and um, Claire O'Neill in particular talks about how our job as sustainability professionals is to use this moment um, to kind of accelerate solutions collaborate more effectively with government um, so that was highlight from day one day two I think uh, Matt's already mentioned Andrew Griffith I think um, it was great to hear from him obviously coming from a business background as well he kind of he gets it um, and he talks about, I had a quote written down on this very scrambled list of notes that I've got from the past three days that says the biggest barrier uh, is not having the desire to do it, but knowing how to go about doing it. So hearing what others have done, having case studies and the confidence to do the same is genuinely priceless. So a good point from from him about that need to collaborate and support others on their journey. And then day three. Uh, so today, I think Jonathan stole the show, Jonathan Porritt. Um, probably my favourite talk of the lot. He always uh, he doesn't hold back, Jonathan, with the points that he makes. Um, he said about this point, I, I really like this point he made about bringing your net zero targets forward, not necessarily literally, but um, at least in terms of your kind of mindset and philosophy that you and your team hold. Um, he said, don't wait until 2035 or 40 or 50. Um, that's not an emergency response. Um, it may be scary, but it's what we have to do, he said. So really liked that point, not to sort of scare everyone on the final note. The last point I'd say just generally was I thought that this event was um, came together really nicely through the, some of the collaborative workshops we did. We used a, the Google Jamboard tool, sort of virtual whiteboards, and some of those outputs were fascinating. We actually kind of, we co-created solutions as well as part of this event. It wasn't just a kind of one-way um, interaction. So yeah, pleased with how it all came along uh, and think genuinely it feels like a bit of an inflection point for, for the community. So it's hosted at the right time. Um, and I'm very pleased now that it has come to an end and I can go home and uh, have a beer and then uh, have, a, have probably an early night to be fair. Right. Well, Luke, before you grab a beer, I'm sure we'd all like to take a moment once again to thank everybody that made the forum and the awards possible, including our speakers, workshop facilitators, exhibitors, sponsors, and of course, everyone that came along virtually. Um, As we mentioned, this is our first time going fully virtual. So thank you to all for helping to make it such a success.
We're going to be announcing more virtual events in due course. And if you're already looking to add more ED content to your calendar, you're already getting withdrawal symptoms. Our next online masterclass is on energy efficiency and will be taking place on March the 10th at 1 p.m. You can find full details and sign up by visiting ed.net and clicking events, then webinars and masterclasses in the top bar. In the meantime, you can subscribe to and follow the ED podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify. And for more news on Net Zero and other topics, our website and newsletter will be your go to. The sign up button for our newsletters is in the top right hand corner. But until next time, it's a goodbye from me, a goodbye from Matt. Goodbye. And a goodbye from Luke. Goodbye. See you next year.